Welcome, Travis. Travis is a well-known leader in the Python data community, having authored or led the creation of industry cornerstones such as NumPy, SciPy, Numba, Aconda, XND, NumFocus, and PyData. Welcome, Travis. A little bit about yourself. Hey, Brian. Thank you so much, Don. Great to be here. Um, uh, Travis Oliphant. I've been an enthusiast for Python and open source for over 20 years. Uh, found it as a scientist. Like many others, my journey was from the scientific space. I was a practitioner trying to figure out how to do my job better and came across uh, Python while looking for alternatives to proprietary solutions. And particularly because I wanted to share my code with others. I wanted to be able to say, here's a code and you can just download this and get it everything you want. So that led that journey led me to the creation of SciPy. And then further on is the foundational array object that I encountered Python with, which is called Numeric, uh, was needing improvement and within the community was getting fractured because of the introduction of multiple array objects. I uh, spent some time and wrote NumPy and then helped the community migrate to that, got a lot of people around it and spent a lot of time just shepherding and, and uh, interacting with a lot of community members and trying to uh, really participate in this global phenomena of open source and collaborative open source development with many, many folks, many, many stakeholders, many, many people. Uh, so that's, that's where I got started and uh, continued from there. Uh, did, uh, left academia because I effectively wasn't writing papers, I was writing software. There's a whole topic there about academic uh, relevance and um, people do great work in academia, but there was sort of no place for this important aspect and there's it's, it's getting better fortunately over the past 15 years but uh, it led me to leave academia and uh, I went and uh, did some consulting work worked at a company called Enthought and then left Enthought to form Anaconda with Peter Wang and there we created Conda and Numba and Dask and Bokeh and Jupyter Lab and did a lot of work great work there and left there just in two years ago to recreate kind of the foundations of Anaconda. As Anaconda grew to be an enterprise software company, I went and my, my strengths and roots are kind of in the creation mode and went and built a, another incubator to create many more uh, open source related companies. And that's what I'm doing now at Quantsite. Well, first off, thank you so much for everything you've <laughs> done for advancing humanity with all, all your work. Um, oh, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. That's that's kind of you. It's been a pleasure. A lot of a lot of good people have made this possible, and it's been such a joy to work with so many good people all around the world. Uh, it's why I stay motivated and excited. Just so many great people I've encountered along the journey. I I think it'd be fun to start out with um, an estimate. In that Python gets a lot of attention now for the um, large population of users. Any kind of estimate and how much your projects have contributed to bringing more people into the Python community? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I think uh, that's a long conversation perhaps, but estimate, I, I think definitely the fact that SciPy existed and NumPy existed meant that things like scikit-learn got built, uh, things like pandas got built, things like Jupyter were Python-based to begin with. And those three things, Jupyter, Pandas, Scikit-Learn, have done tremendous to bring in many, many more higher level users and more familiar users. And, it's what, and then that led to machine learning being, being the foundation and having Python be the de facto machine learning language. So when 
you know, these companies brought their machine learning frameworks to the world, you know, Facebook with Torch and, and Cafe and, and Google with TensorFlow and MXNet and others, everybody knew they had to add a Python interface because of the success. So I, you know, definitely, I think it's, it's in the tens of millions, I would say. Uh, and then as I've talked to the Python community, and I know the Python community very well, great people there in the wider Python community, the web and dev community. Uh, they've talked to Guido. He's definitely recognized the impact of the scientific uh, groups, you know, the, the, the sci-fi, numeric, numpy world. Uh, but I don't think anybody's trying to sit and estimate that. But I would see it, it's, it's, it's over half at least. So if we think there's 40 million Python users, I think there's 20 million or more who are there because of the data world. You're touching, touching uh, millions of people, uh, one bit of white space at a time, I guess. <laughs> well, yeah, me and, and as I say, me and a thousand of my closest friends, right? A thousand, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and you're, and you're world-renowned for it. You really are. And, you know, it's always a pleasure when I run into you. Um, let's just start on a personal note here. You know, what do you wake up excited about in, in the morning? You know, what is what drives uh, you? Good question. Uh, so, um, I, my family is important to me. I get excited by my family and, and uh, that led me to try to figure out how to make money doing what else I love. Which is code. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, you know, figuring out how to make sure my kids get through college. <laughs> like my kids started as little, I had I, all along this journey. I've had, I had six children. And so I've had little children. My youngest was, I had, I had a child that was a baby when I started the sci-fi project. She, my third was a baby. And so I've had children this whole time. And, uh, and, and it's, it's been hard, but on the other hand, it's motivated me to, to figure out how to fund it. So kind of maybe not just work on code, but also work on the meta problem of how to hire other people to write code um, and how to get them paid. So I think about that a lot. I get excited about, because lately I've been, I've been contemplating for 20 years, how do we actually help the world of community-driven open source get paid? And I've come up with some ideas or ideas of, of, of heard that we're working on right now that I'm very excited about. We can get into that later if you like, but it's um, those are some meta ideas much more around the, the the problem of funding this this practice that I love of community-driven open source. And I'm excited by that. I, that, that actually just makes me excited all the time. At the same time, I still get excited about the technology. So I'm also waking up every day trying to figure out how to, you have a problem again with NumPy where so many new array, new participants, those millions of people that have come in for machine learning, it's great, it's wonderful, but there's new technologies now and there's some more problems of people building stacks of tools that aren't compatible with each other as they could be. Yeah. And so, okay, that's the same problem that led me to leave my academic career to write NumPy. It exists today and it's bigger. And so can we, what do we do now? And that's, that, that drives me kind of, how do we do that? How do we, it's not just a technical problem. It's a social problem. And then, you know, that still drives me. There's ideas we have, uh, uh, technical problems, you know, so technical and social slash business. Uh, that's why I get excited about every day. And NumPy is very foundational. And I think one of the draws to the Python community, at least for me, was that all the foundational things, even in this almost third party type world, were stable and written by people who knew what they were doing and a community right. that knew what they were doing. And that was always a draw for me. And it sounds like Quantsight has a bit of bringing that into the enterprise and helping the enterprise manage open source as well. How's that going? Because I know, you know I've worked in the enterprise and I've worked in open source, but I know it's a challenge sometimes, I'm sure. How is it? How are you transforming this uh, enterprise to understand open source communities? Yeah, so it's, it's one person at a time. 
you know, we, you know, any, we, we work through stakeholders in the enterprise. Like there has to be somebody in the organization who cares about the problem. And, and, and the problem could be anything from, man, I have these open source products I depend on and they're a risk for me. How do I ensure that we're not uh, putting our customers at risk? The problem could be, I'm reliant on these open source projects. I don't even know if some of these products are going to be maintained in five years. You know, I need help to, should I, you know, should I be choosing differently or, or maybe I should be working with the community to make sure my features get in where they need to be. Could be problems like that. Um, so it's going, it's going well in the sense that, you know, we, 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 organic. Uh, so we, we grow organically as we find customers who are interested in solving that, using open source better to save themselves money or make more money. And then as we do that, we grow, uh, we've hired people and then we build our team and we have two distinct divisions of people. Um, not so distinct, like they, they cross pollinate with each other, but we have, we have what's called Quantsite Labs, which is intended to be an open source research lab. And there, what I'm trying to do is make sure that every person who wants a job, like ideally I can make it so every person who wants a job maintaining NumPy, SciPy, Pandas, JupyterLab, Scikit-Learn, all of it has a place they could go and get hired and work uh, and then and support how their use cases. And the other group is a, is a group of consultants who use those pieces of software to build solutions. So Quantite Labs ends up working on the open source uh, and then the community and the tests and documentation and proving that Quantite its uh, services is using it. Both are growing and it's a, it's a, it's a typical uh, bootstrapped company in that regard. So. Are you at a point where you have kind of a, archetypal customer at this point or is that still a exploration uh, i still it's still exploration i mean we've had a couple of examples of archetypal customers either it's a large organization that has a massive and like they're using they, they write massive amounts of software so this could be in the financial sector or the oil and gas sector and they 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 need expert help to improve their internal processes so they you know might they, they might grab us to help them improve some uh they have an initiative they're trying to do in their organization so that's one. Another one is actually emerging is sort of the, the earlier stage startup that's trying to use open source effectively to reach their customers. So we're, we're finding some of those customers as well. People, clients for us help, we help them use open source more effectively. You know, one is a, is a company called OmniSci, uh, which does has a GPU database and they want to make sure their GPU database is integrated better with the Jupyter ecosystem and the PyData ecosystem. And so they've uh, retained us and we've helped them engage with the community so that, so that a lot of times companies who are coming to market with a product often find themselves fighting the community as opposed to riding the wave of the community or, or setting their sails to be blown by the community. They end up fighting it. And if you just turn your sail a little bit or you turn your board a little bit, you can actually find you leverage the strength of where the community is going as a, uh, tremendously. These are all lessons learned by trying to do this. Like this, it's not, um, we're all struggling along trying to figure this out, but sort of just being it, having done this a few times, learned a few lessons. Uh, at, at Anaconda, we did this. We wrote, we, we came out with Bakari in 2013. The, pre, the SageMaker and other tools exist now to in the web do notebooks, Google Colab. So Bakari existed in 2013. It was the first to market. But we found ourselves kind of fighting the community a little bit, not intentionally. We just sort of ended up there because we, you know, we kind of forked an early version and we were adding features, but not necessarily in conjunction with what the community was going. So really finding that right balance of supporting the community in its direction while adding those value add features that give you a business is the, what we help people do. 
Well, that's very interesting. That's a, it's amazing the balance between the you know demand to move the open source project along and the kind of this demand to build a business off of it and make money off of it. Where right. does the science come in? Is the science problems in this wave of AI and you know the the hype and stuff is that feeding into this loop somewhere? It's definitely feeding into the loop. I mean, I think Python, in the sense that it's cons- it's consolidating in some points around Python. Uh, it's also, from my perspective, it's getting suddenly the world is interested in the problem I've cared about for 20 years. Like I've cared about array programming and what I call inverse problems and and all the foundations. We, we I taught neural networks at in university. I used it as a mechanism for estimation. Uh, pre, you know, before the early the, the deep learning papers, before deep learning became a thing, and realized, oh, if we put more layers in there, we can actually get better performance or better um, generalization. You know, before some of that some of that early work. But I've been interested in this for a long time. Now it feels like, oh, suddenly the world is interested in what I've cared about. So it's been a, it's been enlight- exciting for that purpose. So it's you know side for these projects that were kind of, uh, you know, many people would call you know, you're the pinwheel pointy head nerds over there doing this work. All of a sudden now the boardrooms care about all this stuff that's happening. Uh, that's been interesting. It's brought more people. Sometimes those people are less informed by the by the. Uh, the details of the science or the how it's what it means and, and don't necessarily interpret the data. Um, let's say they over rotate on some of the data interpretation. But on the other hand, there's some really it's more capital, it's more resources, it's more people interested. So there's more opportunity as well. So it's kind of it's exciting, but also there's some challenges of coordination that show up. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's a mixed <laughs> it's a mixed it's a mixed. But it's definitely grown the popularity of Python and the popularity of NumPy and Pandas and SciPy and Scikit-Learn in particular. Absolutely. Well, re- returning to startups coming in and interacting with open source communities, you're a community builder. And so is Peter. Yeah. And you struggled with yeah. that. I mean, my perception is that most startup founders don't come out of the community. They're opportunistic about the tools and then have to introduce themselves yeah. or interact. Yeah, that's true. That, that's kind of the point is that it's actually, if even people who are who came from the community can struggle with it, you're going to struggle with it unless you kind of be intentional. Like, and so how do you be intentional? And that's what we help people do is be intentional. And there are things you can do that are very useful. I mean, we've, and we've introduced some ideas as well that we're, we're experimenting with and that are early stage ideas for how to help. But uh, uh, yeah, there are definitely, that's what we love to do is help people do that effectively because when it works, you can actually lift the community with real resources and you can get results while also um, keeping people, keeping people back uh, helping. What you don't want to do is come in and, and I've seen this before too. You come in and, and I just wrote an article on what I called company backed open source or CBOS and community driven open source or CDOS. Uh, it's a LinkedIn. You can share it later. Um, it's, it's visible. You can probably search for it, but I've tried to describe these differences and and what the strengths and weaknesses are. And then kind of, I'm trying to promote and grow more community-driven open source. Uh, but in many cases, projects start as company-backed. And I'd love to see company-backed projects or company-backed open source become also community-driven. That's that's one of the things we help I'm people do. I'm going to play devil's advocate you know, for a second here. Sure. Um, you bet. And look at, yeah, look at the Python Software Foundation and the fact that it has its own autonomy. And I always, you know, when I saw Java come along and Sun Microsystems, all that and the impact of that, I believe, was was negative in some cases. And, um, you know, 
what makes the Pipeline Software Foundation work, in my opinion, is the fact that it is community-led and it's its own thing. But what you're telling me is there should be some more tie back to enterprise. How do you prevent it from going evil? You know, oh, how do you? I, I, yeah. I don't know that I maybe I misspoke, but I don't. I didn't mean to say there should be. I'm I'm suggesting that um, enterprises exist and need to use the results of community-driven or community-led open source. So how do you uh, align incentives and enable that 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 need they have to support the community as opposed to either rather either squash it or be neutral to it like i'd like to see it there's a lot of resources being spent how do you help those resources actually be directed to support the communities i got it so if if someone said you know i want to start another language which they do and you know places like yeah. google and other places yeah. do um what would be your advice to them as far as keeping it real, keeping it tied to the open <laughs> Well, I think you just have to be, there's a few things. One is um, uh, uh, patience, right? The, the flip side, the, the benefit of community, community led, community driven is that other people maintain the code for you. Like you're not now on the hook for this for the rest of your life, right? But you can, uh, the, the negative is it takes time. Uh, human time scales aren't, uh, weeks and months, there are months and years, right? So it takes time for anything to kind of, for, for decisions to get made. And so I think um, it's very helpful though, what you, how you start it matters because it takes time to change it. Kind of the, what you created to begin with will last a long time. So early on, you can kind of create a governance structure. And it's what I would, that's the recommendation to a company is, yeah, it's fine to actually start as a, I think everything starts with just a few people and those people, even if they're not organized in a single company, sort of act like a, a private group of people doing something together. Uh, they act like a single company. So they create something. It's that transition of I create something. Now, how do I get other people interested? Not just interested, but willing to spend their effort into what I'm doing. So it becomes theirs too. Because the key about community led is there's many people who feel like it's theirs. We, we should uh, maybe, um, explain a distinction as well though right because sure. a company like google in a project like tensorflow they have a lot of resources and experience to drive something like that i i would see a company like nike that just hired a technological ceo in some sense as needing your help and quantsite's help no absolutely 100 percent. exactly it's nike like google is not a, you know we might partner with them or we might help them on a small way but no exactly usually it's a company like it's, it's, it's different companies that, that don't have this you know, heavy, like many companies, they've gone and, and effectively the community, they, they, they hire community members and they have a big community group. Like, but a lot of companies aren't going to effectively go hire community members from, uh, for the various communities they need to influence and interact with. And that's where- Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot again because I just love doing it. Fantastic. Tensor. Yeah. Tensor. TensorFlow. I mean- yeah, yeah. So what is your impression? Because it is a very active open source project, but you're, you predated a lot of that. Oh, for and, sure. You know, yeah. Things. Yeah. I mean, I, I've got, I've got mixed feelings about uh, these projects, right? TensorFlow and PyTorch, because like, honestly, my view on this is that all of TensorFlow and what people use for what you people use Python, Py, the Python interface, to TensorFlow, the Python interface, to Torch, the PyTorch interface, if you added GPUs and delayed execution and automatic differentiation to NumPy, you have everything you need. Like you don't need to create a whole new ecosystem. And so effectively I'm like, oh, it should have been nice if we had done this instead. 
Uh, on the other hand, you know, I, I realize that you know, there's different histories and people things come from different angles. Um, so it, there's a, there's a bit of me that's like laments the loss of investment in a in a bigger community driven project, and then kind of now we're we're going okay now we have to figure out how to merge or how to work live together. Uh, on the other hand, I'm super impressed with the talented group of people that have done some amazing work for a, a lot of a lot of uh, this cross language solution. Um, so, uh, you know, there's, and then we can go into the details. Like I'm not a huge fan of, of massive adoption of C++. I think that's actually, it's, it's in the short term useful, but in the long term problematic. Um, so it's like, we've just sort of grown the, the we've made C++ more uh, integrated and more needed now because that's where we have these massive C++ libraries that'll be maintained and used for many, many years. Um, TensorFlow itself has some amazing work and they've, you know, they've, they've, they've made it, they've shown the potential that I've always talked about as you could just do so much when you, when you think in arrays and they've added, um, they've added to the concept of what an array is. I really like the, the, you know, NumPy is effectively its model of an array is a is strided memory. It's, that means it's got a pointer to a block of memory that is interpretable with a strides and a dimension array. Right, and that's how you then interpret that array. Whereas kind of a general uh, tensor is a mapping between indexes and a value. And, and that would be ideal to have that general concept of a, of a tensor or an ND array map throughout the ecosystem. We're not there yet. Um, so you can't, that doesn't happen across the, across the board, but it'd be cool if it did. And TensorFlow does more of that. Uh, now, as, in terms of, like that's the technology side, in terms of the community side, um, TensorFlow is a pristine example of what I call company-backed. And, and what differentiates company-backed from community-led or community-driven is, is governance. Like at the end of the day, who decides what is TensorFlow? What goes into TensorFlow? Well, it's an employee at Google, right? And that's, that's, it's okay. I mean, that's, it is what it is. Uh, but I think that, that's different than when who decides what goes into NumPy it isn't somebody at a particular company, it's, it's particular people. And particular people have that role because they've, they've uh, received that role from the community through some, some community process. They've earned it, right? They've earned it. Earned it in most cases. I mean, yes. I mean, sometimes the challenge is community-driven open source is underfunded. And so they, they sort of survived or they're just there. They're willing to work. <laughs> sometimes it's that. And that's where community-driven actually doesn't work as well as it could is when the people who are working on the project are doing it because they're the only ones that can afford to do it. Does that make sense? Like that's what I'm trying to avoid because I see yeah. that lead to so many negative, to some negative outcomes when there's so much positive things if we actually pay people to work on community driven, which means they get paid, but, but the fact that they're at a particular company doesn't, isn't why they get, it's the person. Uh, the Apache projects have this model too. Like if you go to the Apache foundation, it's the companies don't exist there effectively people exist there and their affiliations is, is now sometimes they don't really that can be problematic because there is such a thing as a person at a company working on an open source project and i think we have to recognize that and acknowledge that and allow for that but it's important just to differentiate i think uh the differences of community and it has many implications that that are often glossed over from people unfamiliar with the space uh, you know, yeah, Apache uh, hosts a huge amount of successful projects. They too. absolutely do. 
We absolutely do. And we've also, Don and I visited Mozilla a couple of years ago when we were on a roadshow too, offices, and they treated us quite well there. But absolutely, you know, they've gone through challenges through the shift of technology as well. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I think Apache represents to most people, that's how you know a project is, is not company backed, but community driven is when they make it an Apache project. Because right, that's the point of an Apache project is to say this is this is now a, a group of people. Now I would look further into the actual contributors and make sure those contributors are actually from multiple places, and it's not just yeah, sort of, they're not all in one project from from yeah, the same exact company. Exactly. Yeah, it's the fifteen people in the company as well. Exactly, exactly. So you know, that that's why it's 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 more of a concept. Uh, if if you look at NumFocus, for example, they have a in order to be a fiscally sponsored project for NumFocus you have to have multiple stakeholders. And I, I, I don't know if it's three or five, but there's actually a number that they, you, have to, you have to have. And so if you're, and that's actually with Anaconda, we went through a process, uh, several of our projects, uh, uh, Bokeh and Dask uh, went through this process where initially Bokeh came out of Anaconda, Dask came out of Anaconda. There were just Anaconda employees working on these projects. Uh, but they grew to the point where there are now multiple stakeholders working on these projects. And so they could be said truly to be multi-stakeholder. They could then become fiscally sponsored by NumFocus. So which came first, the chicken or the egg in that case regarding, was it invented in Anaconda or was it? Which? Uh, which? Uh, well, like, for instance, Dask. You know, Dask was, was invented Dask. in Anaconda. Dask came out of our, Peter and I, my efforts to scale NumPy and Pandas. Like we founded Anaconda with the intention of doing that. We worked on, uh, we, we kind of called the effort blaze. Uh, we had multiple things going on uh, in that space. We, we looked at everything. We were looking at, you know, compiling and delayed computation. In some sense, if we had, we, we wrote a C++ library, we were sponsoring a C++ library called Dined. Like we were doing many, many things to try to figure out how do we scale this? How do we do this? Now, you know, with the funding we had, we didn't have infinite money, but we were doing kind of the best we could with the, with the three or four people. So then Matt Rockland came to that project, the blaze project, Kind of looked at the problem and said, "Hey, what if we do this? What if we, you know, can see all this activity going on?" And said, "Well," and then he sat and thought about the problem and said, "What if we create this um, dictionary of tasks, basically?" And then that's kind of—I mean, I don't—he may argue, but that's kind of my mind where the Dask idea, where the Dask name came from. But he—he he was working on the Blaze project, working for us, and and did this and. When I saw what he proposed, I went, oh, that's right. That's exactly the right thing to be doing. That's how we need to be organizing. So we basically dropped funding for kind of everything else around Blaze and invested in Dask. And uh, early was this? There. This was 2014, 2000, just to the end of 2013, first of 2014. Almost every episode I, I shift to this, uh, the in the hype of AI and machine learning and everything that's going on now that it's actually being used for a lot of things. What is the precautionary tale uh, regarding, is there anything that scares even you, one of the inventors <laughs> of, this, uh, of what's going on outside with AI? What scares me, so um, I, I, I actually, I'm, so, I'm such an optimist, maybe to a fault. I just, I'm not scared of AI, right? I, I see it as an opportunity for us to have a conversation. I, I do, I am concerned that people uh, trust it um, more than any other mathematical model. Uh, you know, I've seen challenges of people over-trusting their math. Um, I love math. Math's always right, but it's not always interesting, right? It's sort of, it's just, it's just a slave of your questions. 
in the same way that AI is a slave of your training. It's just, it's, it just does what you, what you put into it. Now it creates these opportunities. Um, there's so much opportunity there. It's definitely hyped and overhyped. And so I, I worry more about the investment bubble and I worry more about avoiding um, any kind of overreaction to the fact that the, that the wildest dreams people have aren't going to happen. And so the overreaction of that might create a decrease in investment that I would not be happy about. But um, that's more what I think about as opposed to, I think there's a lot of good people out there talking about the problems of, of there needs to be enough data. You've got to have a lot of enough data to, to, to really talk about your model. I think about when I, when I talk to companies, I, I often tell them uh, most of their problems really are about, can you get your data together? And then if you're going to put a model in production, how are you going to manage that model? Because it's not a fire and forget. Like there's, right. it's, it's not, it's not tri- non-trivial either. And we've experienced that in my practice quite a bit. Right, exactly. So it's more about, you need more than just hire that whiz. It's, it's like if your mental thinking is I got to hire these brilliant people, put them in a corner, they come up with some magic model and then I just instantly, you know, put it, you know, make it work. Sometimes I've had other consultants bring, kind of pull us in to a company where the company's been overpromised about the magic of AI. And then it's kind of resetting expectations with them that is is hard. So that's what more what I, um, but as someone who's loved the application of applied math and science to problems for years, that's what I got excited about with science in the first place is in engineering in the first place. There is so much awesome stuff happening. Like the fact that we have these really cool tools at our fingertips. I mean, I grew up with this type with this calculator, this HP reverse Polish notation calculator. And that's what I was originally using. And now we're just using these massively capable not, not, uh, not a tools. So I, I did end up with the text instruments as well, but I, just, I grew up in Utah, so not Texas. So, so I did have a TI. Oh, okay, there you uh, go. I had a TI forty nine A computer. That was my first computer. I really started to get a program on, and that was a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, so the big thing I think is mostly how people use and think about AI in their in their organization and making sure that they. Uh, we had just you know one client in particular. They first invested in like machine learning experts expertise, and then realized uh, that oh we actually need data engineering expertise. We need actually the orchestrate orchestration and architecture of where data is flowing, how it's getting from from source to usable uh, sync, where a data scientist or machine learning experts can use it. Like that, there wasn't anything there. Like that needs needs infrastructure and build out. And so you kind of you can end up with overinvestment. Um, in places where the problem isn't for you yet. But a lot of that reason is because it's so easy now, relatively, like the tools for building models, that's not the hard part. Like you can, it's getting the data for it, thinking about the problem, getting the right data, evaluating the situation, uh, finding the features that that matter. If you have a very unstructured data set, there's a lot of work has to go into feature uh, extraction and feature modeling. that and then making sure the right you've engaged with the right yeah. domain. Experts. And is the deep learning and is the deep learning trend? Is it well? First of all, is it reducing that needing for feature engineering? And second of all, how's it handling it with uh, explainability? Are you yeah, it might. I've actually I've been pretty pretty pleased. I mean, explainability will still be an issue for a long time, but I'm pretty pleased with some recent papers on explainability that I think we're getting more. Like I'm, a, I'm an estimation theorist. And so to me, you know, the, the deep learning is an, is an estimation problem fundamentally. Like when I would teach my students about inverse problems, I would always say, you know, you can't get an estimate. An estimate means nothing without an uncertainty estimate as well. 
what you need is a prior is a posterior distribution. So, and that doesn't isn't, isn't spot on the explainability, but it helps you manage what you're what you're getting because that's what older people need to understand. They need to understand what I'm getting this, but is it an anomaly? Is it something to expect? How 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 narrow is my really understanding of this of this signal that I'm I'm trusting? Then the other piece is how did you make how did you make that decision? And there's some good, there's been some recent papers about how to think about deep learning and explainability. I'm actually thinking that's going to make, that's making good progress. I don't know that every problem is a deep learning problem though, I think. And so most explainability issues can be managed by not using deep learning where it's not, yeah. where it's not needed. Um, well, we're about at time. So I wanted to get, uh, first off, I want to say how honored Don and I are, um, to have you on because you've touched so many, you've touched well, so many people you. in this. Yeah. It's fun and conversation. Then, fun to talk to you. We, we need to have you on again since I I'd love to get deeper on just NumFocus and a few other topics like. Uh, uh, we could talk about NumFocus, PyData, Quantsite, Anaconda, uh, my new stuff, Open Teams, and Faro SS. I'd love to go into deep dive with you there. Um, so Open Teams. Yeah, be looking this year. Open Teams is is raising seed money. Um, you know, we're, we're doing a lot. Quantsite's about incubating ideas and we're always looking for talented people and at whatever part of their career they are, they could be early, they could be late. And uh, we're always looking for them to try to help them connect to the problems that exist and really find opportunities for them to continue to grow. And, you know, we're, we're I'm, I want to see many, many more companies. My, my answer to some of the problems in the world is to create new, is entrepreneurship, is to create new uh, ways for people to trade with each other. And that's well, effectively new businesses. I, I think that's an entire episode is the uh, wealth of <laughs> academics um, moving into entrepreneurship in the space of AI, data science, and ML, because yeah, that seems absolutely. to be accelerating a lot lately. Agreed. And that's, that, that's, tends to where, that's where I'm living right now, is I'd love to be, I mean, be part of some of those folks' journey, love to learn from other people, love to share um, whatever experience I can there too. But yeah, that's exciting. That's an exciting topic. No, it's a, uh, really great to be here. Uh, appreciate what you're doing. I think there's a lot of, the opportunity is huge. And so anybody in this space, there's so much, I would just, I would just say, you know, if you feel like one door is closed, there's three others open. So there's just lots to do and, and lots to learn and lots to keep learning together. So it's a, it's a fun time. Well, thank you, Travis. We love your optimism too. <laughs> great. Well, really appreciate you guys. Thanks for what you're doing and spreading the word. Thank you so much, Travis. You bet.